This episode is sponsored by Truflation. Independent economic and financial data in real time on chain at truflation.com. Welcome to the Uncaught Podcast with your hosts Stefan Rust and Omar Yahya. We're both entrepreneurs, investors in the tech and crypto spaces, and have a diverse background in all things venture capital. In this podcast, you'll join us in one of our many conversations where we discuss tech, crypto, exercise, nascent markets, structure of government, and how we can all move forward as a society. Hey everybody, back again, uncut. You know, I'm promoting this more and more everywhere I go. I'm getting asked about, oh, what, 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 where can people find you, right? It's like, and so we talk about uncut and then pointing everybody to our Spotify channel, our podcasts. And um, so super excited to be back again, episode nine, uh, season two. And, you know, we were just talking. Now. Oh, it's 10, episode 10. There you yeah. go. Sorry. Oops. Um, but I think what we're doing is um, we're getting some we, – we, we're constantly talking about different things, economy, and there's always big news, quick news that's happening all the time. Um, but ultimately, I think one of the things that the world is evolving towards is refinement, right? The world is getting much more refined, and that comes in sports, comes in economics, comes in finance, comes in, you know, business, um, comes in culture, right? So ultimately, the precision... And sports too, right? Yeah, sorry. And, and we were talking about sports earlier before we kicked this podcast off. But I think it's, it's you know, in, in sports, it's not just anymore, I'm just going to go crank it out, work it out and work hard, right? Working hard is not the measure of success anymore. It's much more working smart. Hard is a given, right? That's a table stake. It's never easy. No matter what you do to proceed, you know, to to be successful, you need to put in the effort and the time, but you need to do it smartly, right? And and smart, attuned, and customized to your personal preferences, as well as refined to the details and the nuances needed to get to that level. Of performance, right? In some cases, for me, it's nutrition. In some cases, for you, it's sleep, whatever it is, right? And I think that's, I think, in, in, in all aspects, right? Not just sports, um, also in business, in finance, to, to grow your wealth, you need to save here, shave there, uh, you know, stake here and, and just manage it in, 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 in nuances versus these big galloping leaps that you make going forward. That's exactly right. And in fact, a, a, a very nice analogy here is has been the feedback cycles that we've seen in sport versus the feedback cycles that you see in economics. The big critique of monetary policy has always been, you know, they're trying to perform surgery with a kitchen knife, right? You have very little feedback when it comes to the data is lagging um, on the US yeah. side, for example, the data is completely wrong on the UK side. They've came out, the treasury came out and said, like- we completely fucked it up. They literally came out and said that I never thought I'd see this in a first world country. This had, you know, we are literally the way in which we predict inflation is completely wrong. It's that simple. Um, uh, uh, compare that with uh, what's going on in sports, in endurance uh, athletes in particular. 
where uh, you have hyper fine metrics for measuring uh, metabolic fitness, fatigue, uh, um, improvement in cardiorespiratory fitness, uh, 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 metabolite spectrums. I mean, just the specificity. Now, of course, there's always like the data abundance problem, but the idea that you're looking for these robust feedback loops that you know, okay, I'm changing this about my regimen, I'm changing this about my protocol, and this is affecting my performance in this way. This really is no more evident, uh, or you can't find a better place where this is evident than in in sport. Uh, and we were talking uh, just before the podcast about how the average athlete, forget the outlier, the average athlete has improved so much because of yeah. A really basic understanding about sleep science, nutrition science, supplementation science, uh, training protocols. Of course, you know, you go on the internet, everybody fights about these things all the time, but they're really fighting about the margin. On average, uh, any given athlete today has a much better recovery protocol, has a much better training protocol, uh, probably has better recovery, all of these sort of things. And and, and it, it just goes to show that when you're trying to manage any complex system, the answer is never to say, oh, well, it's too complicated. I'll throw my hands up and I'll just use my gut intuition directionally, the, the sort of galloping approach that, that Stefan mentioned, versus, okay, let me see if I can find a group of uh, uh, information signals that correspond to uh, finely tuning or that change with a, a parameter in the system that I can control very specifically. There are two aspects to the problem. One is controlling the input and one is measuring the output. Measuring the output is always difficult. And so what we want to do is, is control the input, which we can do very, very well. You can control monetary policy uh, uh, much more precisely than you can control the sort of output of monetary policy. The same is true with training science. And so uh, in training science, once you start to refine uh, and reduce the uncertainty in the output, and you know you can very much control the input, all of a sudden you get these regime changes in how people train. And so we we were wondering how this can sort of translate to the economic side. Just on that note, right, if you look at, you know, and I come back to a lot of the topic that we always bring up again, right, the alignment of incentives, right? So the incentivization to achieve goals and, and using fresh data and and constantly the experimentation right and one thing that that sports has allowed i mean you look at all the athletes today they're all wearing all these gym shirts that have special body tracking capability in terms of temperature uh, water levels etc right so underneath their garments that they're wearing they're wearing biometric um, sensors to track their performance, which is then used back to how do I optimize my goals. And a lot of the feedback needed in sports is there's a constant competition. There's always a, you know, there's season off season, right? There's, um, you know, uh, daily competitions. There's, you know, check-ins all the time to measure your performance. And you can take the easier competition, but then it peaks every four years at the Olympics or a world championship, whatever the peak highlight event might be uh, for that specific category. And, and, and do we need that in, in business, in economics, in policymaking, right? Is that every day? 
or has it become so tired and boring that it's not attracting the right kind of data to be able to make the right decision to perform the best? Is there any way that you can track one-on-one how things are performing against each other um, that then drive an incentive accordingly to then Ooh, we did this decision that helped move this, that that move that needle. I'm tracking all of the performance associated with that. Can you monitor that? Um, how how do you track that um, to that granularity? Well, I think that's that's exactly the point. If if you can't even put the bounds on the uncertainty of the output, you have no chance in trying to determine the input or trying to 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 constrain a proper strategy uh, as the input. Um, a really funny example that I stumbled upon recently was the uh, uh, sesame seed debacle. Yeah. Uh, if you just Google sesame seed, FDA, whatever, uh, something will show up on the topic where um, basically the regulatory regime was trying to enforce all these manufacturers to basically guarantee uh, and label that certain things had, uh, uh, might have sesame seeds in them versus not, uh, or they could have been contaminated possibly by sesame seeds. And uh, the idea was to basically have products that did not have sesame seeds and ones that did. But guess what happened, right? The person who, who uh, enshrined that policy uh, didn't run the math, didn't uh, do the calculations of, about how much it would cost these producers to actually uh, segregate between these products. So guess what happened? Guess what the outcome was, uh, if you had to guess? I have no idea. Just um, cancellation of all the whole back. You no, know, nothing happened. No, that's not humorous enough. Per usual, the most humorous, entertaining outcome is the actual outcome. That's the law of the universe. Uh, what happened is everybody's uh, normal. All, all these all these producers just put sesame seeds in everything, even if the original formation didn't even have sesame seeds, because they were like, it is much more economic for us to sprinkle a bunch of sesame seeds on basically anything and just stamp it as, oh, this has sesame seeds, even if it has oh, like okay. two. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> They're like, what do you think is cheaper? Me going back at my product line, trying to segregate it, trying to get a sesame seed expert, trying to make sure that there's no – and determining what the efficacious levels are or whatever. Or just bring – at the end, before it comes out on the truck, just put a couple of sesame seeds in it and bam, everything we produce, including, you know, the, uh, the plastic chairs, has sesame seeds on them. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 that's interesting, Yeah. So in the end, yeah, the incentive is to just make sure it's so much cheaper to just define it. It has sesame in it, sesame seeds in it. Be careful. I'll put a warning on there. Then actually go and clear it up and make sure it's sesame seed pure or cleared, uh, you know, et cetera. Yeah, because the, the manufacturer did the numbers. They were like, how many people have allergies to sesame seeds or how many people would sue me for, uh, you know, sesame seeds or how many, not even sue me, how many people would not. Uh, take my product, not buy my product because it has sesame seeds in it. And they probably found that that number is an extremely small number of people. And so they realized, okay, well then if I alienate 0.1% of my client base versus reducing my costs by 5%, well, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to reduce my cost by 5%. It's just that simple. In the end, you also need an ROI on the measurement, right? I mean, if you're measuring something, what is the ROI associated with it? I get X seconds faster. I get, you know, we we improve the economy by X percent. Or I can bring this product to market faster. I can actually, you know, get more, charge a premium if I don't have sesame seeds in it or whatever it is, right? And so... Um, ultimately, what is that objective? And, and if that works out 
in your favor, it's likely going to be implemented, right? And and it's it's worth it. Um, but exactly, you do the math beforehand, right? And and then that ultimately you do it with the outcome in mind can we do something a bit better if we do this or can we protect the health of more citizens if we do this um you know um and and what is health right how do you quantify health which is actually really hard how do you quantify health health is such an important characteristic going forward you know, look at we're all the aging population. You know, they're all going to need better health care. How do we treat them in different manners so that they don't become, you know, such a costly element to society? And at the moment, with all the bureaucracy going out there, we're hiring more and more people into administration to support these hospitals. You're going to need more hospitals because you've banned people from walking and being active throughout their life. You're not adopting new, uh, new newer sciences to make sure people minimize muscle atrophy, for example. And ultimately, that's being loaded up into the future for the cost of health. And that's taken on by the government because it's the government's social responsibility to maintain, you know, a, a healthy um, and, and look after the population, you know. So it's it's funny, you know. How do you incentivize and change that model? It's it's super hard. Well, that's that's exactly right. Again, uh, input versus output. Uh, what do you control versus what do you measure? Uh, Peter Atia wrote this beautiful book called Outlive, in which he yeah. argues that the future of medicine has to be a preventative medicine. It yeah. can't be reactive. It can't be. Uh, once you're already falling off a cliff, then I sort of try and try and save you. It has to be, okay, how do I maintain health span and not lifespan? Because li- lifespan is not interesting. If you're, if you're basically completely uh, immobile past age 65, span. who cares? Yeah. The idea, like I would take uh, a, a lifespan of 50 years where I have immaculate health and die at 50 years plus one day, then a lifespan of... 90 years where I'm completely immobilized after age 45, yeah. right? It's the, and many people would, would absolutely, in fact, they've done statistics to, or, or, or um, surveys to actually measure this inclination. And absolutely, there's a lot of people, if you said, hey, would I give you, if I give you today, whatever, $10 million and you get to become world champion, but you die at age 40 versus you don't take that and you never make it in life, but you get to live to age 70, uh, the majority of people would actually take the the former, and so um, it's not surprising that it's really health span that we're really interested in. And if, if the point is to maintain health span and not lifespan, which is what the current state of medicine is, it's how do we prolong your life at, at all costs versus how do we improve your quality of life? It's a completely different paradigm, and it's a completely different burden of risk. The person who, sh- who shoulders that um, risk becomes the individual as opposed to the entity or the insurer that that's going to come in and try and sort of uh, protect you after the adverse effects have occurred, right? If you say, okay, it is up to you to maintain a good health span. And in the event that something very unlikely happens that even though you were on this protocol, you weren't able to do it, then we can come in and save you versus just saying, everybody do whatever they want. You can smoke, you can you know not sleep, you can like eat like shit. And then at age 60, basically everybody shows up to the hospital, right? So... <laughs> Which is sort of what's happening in a way, right? But I love that the concept around health span. And, and and if you haven't read the book Outlive, gotta read it. I mean, just just has really good um, 
you know, it talks about four, I mean, yeah, I, I won't take away the summer, but it basically, how do you build your health span, right? What are the core things you should be doing every day of the week in order to retain your health span and, and extend that health span, right? And avoid the four icebergs of death. You know, uh, uh, not, not icebergs, the uh, horsemen. Horsemen of death, the yeah, I, I call um, them the icebergs. <laughs> uh, what was it? The, the, the great insight there was was we need to be prescriptive about our health span. So he called this the centenarian, centenarian, sorry, decathlon. He says, what are the 10 things or 15 things or 20 things that I want to be doing at age 80? Yeah. And these are like, the, the, these are not broad things like, oh, I want to be healthy. No, no, no. These are like, literally, I want to be able to carry 15 pounds of groceries, uh, 10 flights of stairs, what hyper specific protocols. And you work your way backwards. We know, we actually have very, very good data on how um, uh, uh, muscle fiber density, how cardiorespiratory fitness, how cognitive health, we know how all of this declines over time. So if we just right now put ourselves in a position where at age 40, we're at a, some sort of peak level, and then it starts to decline or taper off slowly, using our interventions, we can get you to age 80 and you can do exactly what it is that you can do. Right. And anybody who thinks that you can't perform these functions at age 80 and is basically above a certain age to rise off has not seen a 90 year old run a hundred mile ultramarathon. Right. There are people out there that are literally 90 years old and can run a hundred miles at a time. OK. So and these are not genetic phenoms. These are not, you know, former Olympic athletes. These are like school teachers and, you know, accountants and regular people. OK. All they did was put in the hard work, uh, relatively hard work, not not even that much of hard work, but consistently have done it over decades. So this is basically the great insight. The great insight is pick where you want to be at age 80 and reverse engineer what you need to be doing now in yeah. order to get there. And I think, you know, to that point, right, but I think also economically, right, I mean, um, healthcare is a big part of, of, of society and the cost of a society and also takes up a, a large cost of infrastructure to support and maintain a society. And, you know, from hospitals to doctors to physiotherapists to recovery, um, you know, etc. And of course, insurance, right? Because insurance tends to be the backbone that funds a lot of this activity, right? So we as a society each pay monthly, monthly, you know, um, contributions to maintain and support the 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 accident prone few or the accident occasion that happens to one every so often, right? And there are within insurance companies, there are these scientists that calculate the probability across a given society and membership associated with an insurance policies, uh, insurance category, what is the propensity of somebody having a specific incident? And then ultimately, what is the cost of that incident? And then what is the need to hedge yourself against the cost associated with that. There are always outliers, right? There are always going to be unique cases where, man, it happens 10 in one go versus it being spread out over 10 years once a time, right? Um, those are the different extreme factors and, and, and cases uh, associated with that. But everything in a, the life insurance category has been built around a lifespan. 
what is the life expectancy and then as you get older the cost increases significantly to maintain that lifespan right <laughs> and so now in an environment where health span matters how does that change all of the calculations associated with an actuary's job within an insurance company to then be able to go out and build out a new insurance package and a new insurance program that allows people to then live within the health span. And we're going to calculate and subsidize and figure out a pro program and a policy that protects everybody for the maximum health span? Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful question. And um, for the listeners that don't know, actuarial, actuarial science is actually um, extremely old. Um, in fact, some of the great yeah. uh, innovations in differential <laughs> equations and mathematics, they were done in like the 18th century by a bunch oh, of Englishmen like and Irishmen trying to determine that exact problem. The fundamental shift, the paradigm shift here is... Uh, uh, insuring against or underwriting uh, uh, lifespan means that you have to look at acute events, right? Yeah. Did you break your hip? Did you break your leg? Did you get cancer? These are acute, generally one-time off-ish payments. Health span is not something that can be controlled acutely. Health span can only be controlled chronically. Yeah. That is the great difference, okay? The, this idea that you, that you will never, sh if, if the optimization problem is maximize health span, you will never have people showing up at the door saying, hey, you know, I need payouts because I got cancer or whatever, because that's not what you're underwriting anymore. What you're underwriting is their ability to have a high quality of life. Now, of course, that's influenced by the fact that they can have acute disease. But in general, you're underwriting a completely different problem. Is this guy uh, metabolically fit? You know, how good is their sleep, whatever? And how does this translate into X amount of metrics that we can measure? All of a sudden, the funding mechanism changes because now you can have uh, quarterly or even monthly payouts from these insurance funds that can control health span at a much more granular level um, than you can uh, control against uh, acute uh, uh, incidents. Uh, you know, I got cancer, I broke my hip, whatever. So the entire funding model changes. It becomes, okay, what is the baseline level that we need to get to? How do I underwrite that yeah, versus exactly. it's binary. I basically have to prevent this person from, you know, life insurance is literally binary. You die, you get money, you go don't die or you, you know your next of king gets money um versus how do we fund in a way that's sustainable how do we fund uh uh, uh positive improvements in health span which i suspect is just a completely different calculation and the reason is a you're no you no longer have this um constant pay in one-time payout uh system or fund structure where basically the entire premise is you collect premiums hoping that people would never use them. Because in this model, you actually hope that people would use them. You just hope <laughs> that they don't use them as much. Exactly. Right? And the idea is to say, listen, I'm not. if you get cancer, that's your problem. That's why you have savings. Right? Yeah. That's why, you, you know, I'm sorry. That's just the, the nature of the beast. We're all going to die someday. Right? Your day is just going to be sooner. But instead, while you're living, what I can help you do is I can help you achieve a very high quality of life. Yeah, but, but but even even in the case that you do get cancer, right? I mean, if I if I am doing, I think the 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 point you made right earlier on was acute versus chronic, 
right? So if I, at the moment, everything's geared towards an acute addressing, right? I address it acutely, right? You got cancer, we attack it then, right? I'm not doing a chronic change to my system. Well, chronic actually has a negative connotation, but I mean, in a positive sense, how do I do the preventative element associated with that, right? I know that you're carrying, I'm going to make sure everybody worries about health span, no longer about lifespan. Right. If you get cancer, we can't fix it. There's no cure. You know, yeah, it's, you know, unfortunately, that's the way of events. You know, it was in your DNA. Maybe it happened or whatever it happened. You know, we'll try and make it as soft landing as possibly throughout that transition from, you know, cancer to death. Right. I mean, so, <laughs> I mean it's macabre, but but it's me, but, that, but that's no, 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 the truth. No, no. That's the reality. You, of it, right. Let me give you let me give you a, a really concrete example. Um, as far as you know, everybody's going to die. Where we yep. have not yet uh, passed this uh, inflection point of immortality. As far yep. as we know, for the foreseeable future, everybody's going to die. Yep. So we should all just accept that and move on, and just remove the lifespan paradigm from our minds and instead focus on health span. If I come to you and say, "Hey, Stefan, I'm going to need you to pay me a dollar a month uh, uh, for the rest of your life," and what I'm going to do is, I'm going to take that dollar every month that you you pay me, and I'm going to go invest it in hormone replacement therapy technology. How do I make hormone replacement therapy uh, very cheap uh, yeah. uh, and, and widely accessible, okay? Which much cheaper than it is today. You go do that in your mini VC fund. You come back to me when I'm at age 40, when I do need hormone replacement, all, all women, uh, uh, basically all women will go through menopause, which means they absolutely need hormonal therapy. A significant amount, a fraction of men uh, will be hypogonadal by X age and will need hormone replacement therapy if they want to improve their quality of life. They're, you know, they're welcome to have a sickly, feeble life if they want, but if they, if they want otherwise, then they'd be better uh, yeah, on yeah. some sort of uh, hormone replacement protocol. So if you take that money now and that insurance money goes directly to invest in this, and then you promise me, you promise me that by age 40, uh, my hormone replacement protocol will be, it, it'll cost me a tenth of what it is today. You un, you pick the number because you underwrite it, right? Yep. Ideally, it would be basically, you know, trivially cheap, like Moore's Law kind of thing. You take my money now, you invest in semiconductors, it's two orders of magnitude cheaper by the time I need it. But the thing about, that's the beauty of, of HealthSpan, is everybody needs maximum computing power today. So this doesn't make sense to say, hey, give me money today and I'll give you a free computer in 20 years. It kind of doesn't make sense because I need a computer now. But at, at, you know, at my age, uh, I don't need hormone replacement therapy right now. I will need it at age 45. So yeah. I, I know that that time will come, but it's useless to me now. So that money can go literally into an quote unquote hormone replacement therapy insurance protocol and all they do is invest in that technology. And if they exactly, get it right, exactly. they get it right, they made money and I made money because I, uh, if I didn't participate in this, in this uh, regime, funding regime at age 45 or at age 40 or whatever, I would have to pay, uh, I would have to pay to, for HRT or a, a premium for HRT. So that is a much more interesting approach because then it's, you're not just taking insurance money and buying bonds, right, or putting it in some vanilla VC fund, it's very targeted. It's like, okay, what do I need? I need A, B, and C. So that money will go to fund that research from a venture capital perspective. It'll make X, R, Y on it. Yep. If nothing else, if nothing else, it will very likely make it cheaper, even if I don't make any money at all. So if you amortize that cost over whatever, 20 years, you probably still come out ahead uh, in terms of how much it would cost you.
So these are the kind of schemes that, um, or this is the kind of uh, uh, regime that you would have to adopt if you were trying to insure for health span as opposed to lifespan. Which, which again comes back to the core topic of this conversation, which is around refinement, right? So it becomes a lot more refined. I'll just give you health insurance. What the fuck is health insurance, right? I mean, it's such a broad aspect of health, lifespan, health span. You know, do, at what age category are you? Oh, everybody that's young should fund the old, right? But we're all getting older, right? But nobody's looking out. Somebody's looking after themselves a lot. They're, they're managing their food. They're doing their gym access. But we won't subsidize any of those costs because, you know, that, that's going to be beneficial. You're going to be healthier longer and you'll save costs on you versus somebody else. Instead of saying, I'm doing this, I'm really refined, I'm living my, I'm happy to share my biometrics, but I would love to have a gym membership subsidy so that I go to the gym. I'd love to have food subsidies so let's, that I eat this food, because, it, you know, whatever. Why not, can't I insure those elements? Yeah, let's not even call it a subsidy because it isn't. You're paying yeah, for it. Actually, you're, yeah, paying for you're paying for it. For, pay, sorry, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, but but to me that that is and ultimately it costs the society a hell of a lot less further down the road right and you become much more productive your GDP to a society is far greater because you are athletic there is less overweight I don't need to build 15 elevators to allow you to go up and down a step right or something like that right and those there's no, yeah there's no fraud waste and abuse there's yeah. no fifty dollar uh, Advils there's no uh, monopsonies with uh, insurance companies, all of that goes oh, out of the window. No, yeah. Oh, there's another documentary I just watched, Painkiller. Have you seen that documentary? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck me, man. Oh, my. You talk about scams in crypto. It's like, that's nothing. That pales nothing to this whole medi biomed you know, scam. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, just digressing there. But, but yeah, no. I, uh, <laughs> um, I really feel, I, I feel much about that, right? Because in the end, it's it's hard, you know. It's like I mean, I I, I smashed my knee. Uh, for you know, those of you that don't know, I've had five, six surgeries on my knee. I've had three replacement surgeries. I need to get a total knee replacement, and I've done MRIs. I've done everything. That's every doctor I go to. Tr, you know, TKR, TKR, total knee replacement. Bang bang, all the time, and it's like. Hang on, you know, I've just looked at other methodologies. I've done physio. Huh? Peptides. I, exactly. Peptides. Exactly. I've got peptides. I've got stem cells. I've looked at everything, but insurance won't cover peptides. You know, they won't cover yeah, because pe guess what? Peptides, peptides weren't around when you bought into your insurance scheme. Exactly. So it's like, oh, no, 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 can't, can't substitute. But it would save you so much money versus a knee replacement. I'm going to be out for a year. You know, they're going to chop up my leg, irreplaceable, you know, and I've got to go and then learn to walk again. I've got to go build up the muscle again. I'm going to have physiotherapy. I'm going to be a burden to society. People are going to have to push me around in a wheelchair. They don't actually need to do that. <laughs> but, but, you I'll know, push but, you around, <laughs> oh, Thank I'll you, push thank you. Around. But, you know, for me, it's like, and then so now, guess what? This was... This was maybe eight months ago, right? Where I was told you got to go knee replacement. It's no, actually, maybe no, a year, a year and a half ago, two years ago now, maybe in total. But I've had it twice, right? And then I found a way to actually 
stretch the muscle. So now I'm disciplined. Every evening, I, I stretch out my muscle. I roll my legs, right? I roll my knee. I, how do I do that? I go to the gym every day. I have a program I go to. I've had stem cell injections into my knee, which by the way, I can only praise. This is, I, it's definitely the way forward. What's that trying to do? It's trying to build out the cartilage again back around certain sensitive areas where you've got no cartilage and your bone is touching on your bone, which means it's super painful. And that's where nerve and nerve hits each other. And that's multiple, you know, that's generally where deterioration happens in a lot of the bones and bodies when age comes in, right? Um, but now I'm there. I was there this morning. I was doing a one-hour hardcore biking sprint session this morning. I was going minute on, 40 off, minute on, 40 off. You know, I was doing that 10 times through, and I was doing that then 30, you know, just – and I was going, and I was – the biggest problem was heart rate, <laughs> not anymore the knee pains or body pain. I walked back down. Yesterday, I went for a bike ride into the middle of over lunchtime. I, you know, shit day, bad hard work, took a long hour lunch. I went to the furthest point and I said, I was just going to go there and back. Didn't take my padlock, didn't take my pump because I knew I was just going to bike there and back and just wanted to be lightweight. And, and guess what? Of course, what? you <laughs> went on a four hour arm yeah, shot. Yeah. And on the furthest point, I get a flat tire. It's like, fuck, I got nothing around. So I'm walking back and pushing my bike all the way back. No problems in my knee. We worked out, you know, def and so it's like, yeah, you know, I just extended my health span by organically saving significant amount of costs for not having a total knee replacement, which has cost, I don't know, 40, 50 grand, the surgery itself, plus minus all the recovery, et cetera. You know, anyway. Oh, and you're, you're shot. But once you do TKR, I mean, that's, that's it. Health span that's is it. sort of out of the window. Yeah. You basically have to live with the, that disability. Um, so just, again, it's it's the conflict of these two things, the lifespan versus health span. It's, it's this idea of, okay, all I need to do is make sure that you can like basically marginally function versus are there different approaches that we can approach yeah. chronically as opposed yeah. to acutely yeah. that can like dramatically prolong your health span. It's a completely different paradigm. It's a completely different way of thinking of it. It's a completely different way of funding it, right? It's just, it, we're talking about apples and oranges here. And it's it's and I think it's it's three elements that you know if we take away three things from this podcast it's refinement we are getting to into a world where we're much more refined and we need to get much more scientific and refined in that approach how we support using science to get more refined and take what did you say you said uh, having a, a, a knife not a not a kitchen knife for a surgery but a, but a exactly. lapel a scalpel. Thank you. A scalpel. scalpel thank you. And then, you know, um, I like health span versus lifespan, right? So how do we maximize our time in, on, on, in whatever we're doing? Let's maximize and get the best out of it for the time that it's relevant. If it's no longer relevant, let's ditch it, innovate, change, do whatever it takes, but then figure it out, right? And we're doing that already now. And acute versus chronic, I love that analogy because it's so succinct and says exactly what the issue is, but they're negative words. How do we convert them into positive words and find new words for that? And if any of you listeners have suggestions for chronic and acute, let us know and we'll take that and, and try to <laughs> wordsmith them into our vernacular. I, mean, I, I have a few suggestions for you on the peptide side, but that's a completely different conversation. I tell you, people swear by it and um, for not just for um, recovery, 
but for a gain of like re, uh, uh, resuming function in like shoulder injury, knee injuries, there's a whole different world. The problem with peptides, here's what happens, ladies and gentlemen. Um, that's PRP, that, right? Platelet-rich pl protein? Or no, is no, that, no, 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 oh, peptides. That's, okay. pl it's plasma. No, we're talking about uh, um, uh, 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 peptides um, are synthetic compounds. Uh, generally synthetic compounds. Here's what happened in the state of um, anabolic development, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, if you have Netflix, uh, two documentaries to watch. One is uh, Icarus, which yeah. uh, is very famous. Um, and the other one is Untold, uh, the one about uh, Victor Conte. Okay. Basically, uh, since the 19... I think that, yeah, since the 1950s, you had an enormous advancement in uh, pharmaceutical science when it came to the development of uh, anabolic steroids. And this has no negative connotation. Steroid is a, uh, a class of chemical compounds. Anabolic just means it has the ability to uh, facilitate uh, muscle protein synthesis. That's all that means. Um, originally, the, the problem was we realized that building muscle and uh, keeping it on are very different different problems. It takes a very long time. Um, based on your genetic substrate and how hard you're working, you can basically only put on five to 10 grams of muscle a day. Um, if you were bedridden for like two weeks, you can lose all of that. Uh, so you can, de you can develop yeah. a year's worth of muscle mass uh, and then uh, December 20th, you can <laughs> have an accident and be bedridden for two weeks and you can lose literally that entire uh, um, that entire uh, progress. And the reason for that is uh, like metabolic is actually very simple. Um, uh, muscle tissue is very active. It requires a lot of energy to maintain. So you, the, it's the first thing that goes when your body is like, oh, you're not using this. You're just sitting here for 10 days straight. Great. I don't need that. So it's going to start stripping it off your frame. Remember, your body is one big energy uh, gathering slash preserving machine. That's all that mattered from evolutionary prospect is how much energy can I have at the body? Because if I don't, I'm going to die. We were foraging and hunting machines only for that reason. So the, the reason to maintain an excessive amount of muscle mass was just never a, a, an evolutionary prospect. Um, so with that in mind, uh, uh, the pharmaceutical industry was interested in people that were fire victims, people that were uh, debilitated by some sort of injury. How do we prevent muscle loss in them um, while we're treating them in hospital? Basically, if you're a, if you're a third degree burn victim or if you, you know, broke your hip, you basically have to stay in bed all day for weeks on end. So how do we prevent severe muscle catabolism from occurring? And the insight was, well, we can uh, go look at, at the hormonal substrate of the body that determines how much muscle mass you put on and how much muscle mass you retain. And they figure out that basically the, 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 the daddy of all uh, hormones is called testosterone for both men and women. It's basically the the single most important uh, hormone in your HPTA system that determines how much muscle mass you put on your skeleton. It's that simple. So they realized, okay, how can I, uh, could I instead just uh, uh, for a short period of time use exogenous testosterone or derivatives of exogenous yeah. testosterone to maintain that muscle mass? And they realized, yes, it works fantastically. The only problem with that is, uh, uh, was the broad spectrum effect of testosterone was the uh, uh, what we call the androgenic versus anabolic effect. You, uh, uh, grandma who's 75, uh, uh, broke her hip and now is in the hospital. We started to give her testosterone, straight up uh, testosterone, and she retained her muscle mass, but she also started to grow a beard. 
um, which was kind of a problem. So they, <laughs> they realized, okay, testosterone, while highly effective, is very androgenic. Yeah. So can we start synthesizing compounds that are just as anabolic, or maybe not just as, maybe close to the anabolic effect that you get from testosterone, re replicate that, while reducing fertilization, while reducing any of the androgenic effects, both in men and in women, right? Because, you know, when you're a 50 year old man, you don't need your jawline expanding, you don't need uh, beard growth, you don't need all of the, uh, you know, uh, hair follicle effects, all this sort of stuff. So the answer was, okay, let's start looking into this stuff. And that's when literally the world, the pharmaceutical world exploded, and you had the development of synthetic uh, uh, anabolics, and you had peptides, and you had all of this wonderful stuff that went under the radar for years, right? This was the, the East Germany uh, doping program, the Duchess cocktail, uh, uh, and the Russian uh, 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 doping uh, scandal. All of this stuff was developed in the 60s and the 50s and the, and the 70s. Um, and for a long time, it was not illegal, and there was nothing wrong with it, and you could just Get that stuff. The only problem was it was expensive. Then came uh, the Victor Conti uh, uh, scandal, where basically everybody and their mother uh, were, uh, in professional sports started to take these uh, uh, steroids uh, instead of being therapeutic. They started taking them as performance-enhancing drugs. And the most famous uh, one of all, of course, was Barry Bonds and, and MLB, and you know a bunch of other uh, uh, really uh, well-known um, uh, incidents. So. What happened is in the 90s, uh, the U.S. government banned the use of uh, uh, steroids for non-prescription reasons. And when it did that, it basically cut the lifeline uh, that the pharmaceutical industry had in developing uh, in doing R&D in synthetic uh, compounds uh, that are in any way peripherally related to uh, steroids. And uh, uh, while that uh, reduced, um, arguably tried to reduce its use in sports, although we actually know that's not true because it's always a cat and mouse game in terms of uh, diagnostics and trying to make synthetic compounds that are undetectable. We know today uh, that's basically how it works, and that's how it worked with you know uh, uh, Tour de France and and uh, Lance Armstrong and uh, uh, Marco Pantani, and basically the common theme we understand is that everybody's on steroids. The question is, can you catch them or not? Um, what it did is it prevented the development of protocols that could uh, uh, reduce or hamper the long-term negative effects of the use of these synthetic uh, steroids, including peptides, including non-hormonal interjection. Uh, and what that did is we basically, we basically stagnated for about two decades when it came to research in these compounds. But then, in a, about a decade ago, we realized how important these uh, protocols are for maintaining health span. So now we went back from, oh, it was only used for burn victims and people that were incapacitated. Yeah. Then we went to everybody's using them for performance enhancement. And now we realized this could actually be extremely important for health span. So now we're back to basically square one. We're saying we really need to develop these protocols. But because they're banned in sports, R&D funding is very, very limited. So... So now here's the problem. We have severe regression in the science that would en enable uh, the average person to access extremely sophisticated, extremely precise uh, synthetic compounds that could dramatically improve health span. This is where we are, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you don't mind my five-minute expose of the history of anabolic steroids. 
No, I mean, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check out that show, that's for sure, Untold. And I'm really going to also look at anabolic, I mean, I don't know about steroid peptides. I mean, I'm going to have a look at peptides. I looked into stem cells. I'm really bullish on stem cells. Um, I mean, funny, funny enough, st yeah. stem cells are, we know peptides work. Peptides yeah. work very well. Um, yeah. Stem cells in general, even though a lot of people swear by them, including you, there's not great evidence that they're yeah. they're super effective, and they're they're basically they're, they're not being tested on humans. So no. while people that are against it say, oh well, you know, there's no real scientific evidence that they work, we basically don't test them on people. So we don't, we just don't really know. Um, I have a look ahead. at a book called you know by Tony Robbins, The Life Force, and Peter Diamandis. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've read mm -hmm. that one, but that's course, yeah, yeah. that's got a lot of insights into. Oh, he swears I mean, by the stuff. He, he swears, swears by the stuff, exactly. But I mean, yeah, I agree with you to a certain extent. It, it may be just a bit, I, like I don't know. I mean, the other thing I looked at, platelet-rich PRP, right? Platelet-rich protein, uh, right? Which yeah, is, protein. that's another thing that's, that's I think, very experimental. Um, but I'm, 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 I'm keen to look at peptides. I'll, I'll have a look at that. I, I don't know where, do you have any good recommendations what I could read or any sources to, to do some homework on that? Just general Google it. Yes, I'll send it to you offline. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely maybe not, it's not for the kind hearted, um, but, um, or faint hearted or what, I don't know what the word is, but, um, yeah, no. Well, I just I don't want people coming out and trying to experiment with this stuff. Yeah, no. But the don't, what does it you know instruct you know construct can you know go talk to your physician? Go talk to your physician. This is not medical advice. This is not I medical never, advice. I never thought I'd be saying this. I'm used to saying this is not financial advice. I never thought I'd be saying this is not medical advice. But really, I mean, I, I like in everything, you know, just do your own research, do it in moderation, don't go extreme, study it first, experiment before going full in and be really careful in what you do, um, especially whether it's your money, whether it's your health, whether it's drugs, whether whatever you do, do your homework first, right? I mean, just really yeah. talk to your always, physician, always. not your not your vanilla physician out of med school because they don't study endocrinology. Go talk to an actual endocrinologist. Really try and understand what it means when you get a blood panel. Uh, the most important thing you can do for your health span is monitor it. Yeah. And how do I monitor it? I start early. I develop a biological passport. Mm. It's it's meaningless to show up at age fifty and say, hey, can you measure my free testosterone or my uh, 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 FSH levels or my LH levels? They'll give you a number and they'll tell you that number lies within a range. And that range has two standard deviations and that, that number could vary between, could vary overnight depending on when you take it, how well you slept, what you ate can vary within 30 or 40, 50%. It is meaningless to take an acute measurement. Instead, you need a chronic protocol. That chronic protocol is called the biological passport where you, you measure, oh, I feel good today. I'm fantastic. I'm age 30. I'm thriving. The best I've ever lived. Okay. That is the reason you go get in a, a blood test and you get your biological passport and you measure again next year and the year next. So by age 50, when you start feeling like shit and wonder what it would, what it would look like to, to feel as if you were age 30 again, you have the actual data to build a proper protocol to maintain your, the health span or even to rejuvenate your health span back to where you were before, but to just walk in once the shit has hit the fan. And to ask, well, you know, what's the problem? You know, what problems do I have? And they'll tell you you have low testosterone. Of course, you have low testosterone amongst other things. But the, part, the question is, why do you have low testosterone? And how do we fix it? And it was there are some people, again, it, it's not just about free testosterone levels. Androgen receptor density is very important. Your genetic propensity to put on muscle mass, amongst other things, your metabolic adaptations, these are all determined by your DNA. 
okay? Some people can take uh, an enormous amount of exogenous hormones and have basically zero effect on their body composition because they're, they're extremely poor responders. Some people can take, a, 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 there's this is one guy I read about, he had a tumor on his pituitary and because of it, homeboy was walking around with like 1800 nanograms per deciliter uh, free testosterone, right? That's an that's an incredible number, right? That that's super physiological number. And this person had never taken any exogenous hormones. Why? It turns out he has a he had an issue with his pituitary, right? But if you had shown up to a a, a clinic, a TRT clinic, and said, "Hey, I'm you know I'm not feeling so good. Can you measure my testosterone?" They'd tell you, "Dude, you're on steroids. You're clearly on steroids." You're so the reference ranges are meaningless, right? We the the variety on an individual level is much higher than the variety on the population level. So I, it, it's meaningless to come and say, hey, you know, this is the spectrum of, of uh, distribution of free testosterone. You're below or above this number. Therefore, you're hyper hypogonadal. No, you should know relative to your own body first how you're functioning. And then you can examine the broader statistics to determine, okay, how many other people are likely to be like this? And then we can do uh, all sorts of studies to determine, okay, what fraction of the population is susceptible to this or susceptible to that and so on. And we can do epidemiological studies and we can figure out all these sort of things. And I think, you know, again, it comes also back to the refinement, right? You don't want to just leap into something, right? You want to test what 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 worked, what didn't work. And, and there are so many influences over the course of a day. And, 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 and so building out your, 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 your body passport, your blood passport, whatever it is, is critical to see what works and what doesn't work because what works and what changes your mood, what changes your energy level, what changes your your, your physiology, all depends on, on certain changes. It could be just sleep, as simple as that. It could be, oh man, you ate a whole bunch of chips and burgers and you got drunk the day before, then of course you're feeling shit the next day, right? And it wouldn't be the best to do a blood test right then in terms of how to evaluate it, unless you want to replicate that again and figure out what it was that actually didn't work was it the anyway but um yeah i think um a lot of those elements are really important um and i'm gonna really want to check that out because i think that as a certain level there is all of these elements add significant benefit it's how you take it what you take at what point in your life that will be beneficial to you um, and give you a better health span Precisely. Yeah. And with that, we'll wrap it up here. Thank you. We'll see, we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody.